Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we will continue our discussion of the impact and response to the COVID-19 pandemic with AAF President Douglas Holtzakam. Doug, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Kyle. How are we doing? Another week in, uh, in stay at home? Um, the hamster is still on the wheel. I haven't fallen off yet. <laughs> well, the big news of this week, unfortunately, has been about the surge in coronavirus cases. Yeah. Uh, many states are pulling back the reopening. Um, first, there's the obvious public health concerns with all this. Second, there's the equally obvious economic concerns. Um, what do you think the impact of this latest surge will have on the economic recovery? I hope the impact of the surge is to sort of stop the magical thinking on both the public health and the economics front. The the magical thinking on the public health front is that somehow there's going to be a vaccine or it'll just go away and and that can be done without great effort um, or we can just lock down and it'll disappear. Um, I don't think any of those things are, are actually imminent. So we have to figure out how to work in the presence of this virus. And on the, on the economics front, the magical thinking is, well, if we just have like the $600 bonus in UI or stimulus checks or something, the economy is going to be great. And that's not true either. Um, I, I think the reality is we are in for a long slog that's going to require smart, concerted efforts on both economics and and public health. And And, and there really hasn't been that sort of a you know, real honest, open discussion with American people today, in my view. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it feels like, you know, this is just a new stage of the crisis. You know, we thought we were over the hump. We right. thought we were going to get a reprieve over the summer. At least that's what a lot, a lot we were told, at least. Um, we thought, frankly, that government leaders would have better plans in place at this point. Um, but now we're seeing a surge um, as, pa- as people's patience wear thin. I mean, We've talked about it many times in this podcast that we're ready to get back and see each other and not have these face-to-face conversations over over a camera. Um, looking at it from the federal level, what does the president and Congress need to do to manage the next the new stage of this crisis? I think the the key is to um, you know abandon the care strategy, which made sense if if the solution was to simply hide from the virus for two and a half months and use a lot of taxpayer cash to insulate the economy from the consequences. That's what the lockdown stage was. Uh, there can't be a, a version two of that. Like that, that can't be what they do next. There has to be a conscious effort to, uh, to keep open what we can and to get back to work those people we can get back to work. And as I've, I've mentioned before on these podcasts, that has a different set of tools than than just let's give people a pile of money and let them just bunker down. Those are things like we need to make sure that there's uh, adequate PPE P, PPE for people so they can you know have the masks they need and and where necessary we have plexiglass to to shield off customers' waiting areas, whatever it might be. And it's uh, it's workplace modifications to to allow for the social distancing, non glamorous stuff. It's 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 all the the nuts and bolts of having the world look a little bit different, but be manageable in the presence of the potential for an infection. And and on the um you know the public health front, it's not let's let's everyone go lock down. It's okay. 
we, we know that you get a huge chunk out of social distancing. You get a, a further chunk out of, out of face coverings. Uh, once you do those things and you have a decent testing regime, you, you, you're there. And lockdowns don't buy you much more, but they have huge economic costs. So let's let's do those things a little bit better. Um, and, and, you know, what you saw, I think, this week was the that realization dawning as we heard leader after leader say, look, just please wear a face mask. That seems to be like the biggest thing I've heard over the past week or so is just people saying, just do the face mask, be responsible, be smart, and we'll get we'll get through this. So as COVID-19 cases surge, we've seen we have seen reports that consumer spending is up. Um, that certainly sounds like some good news to me. What does that suggest in terms of the the economic recovery? Again, by the numbers, we've had now two chances to look at the income and, and spending patterns of American households. Uh, we got an April report and a May report. Um, in the April report, the, the stunning number was that uh, the government transfers came in at an annual rate of $3 trillion, and the saving rate went to 33%. So consumers um, you know, were well provisioned to spend and, and, had, and, and actually touched a lot away. Uh, in, in May, we saw this pattern continue. The government's Transfers came in at a rate of $2 trillion, uh, so not quite as fast as April, but um, you know, the unemployment rate wasn't going up as rapidly, things like that. Saving rate was 23%, and we're seeing, as a result, not just additional spending, which is, which is good news, but it's not like people are spending their last dollar and they're going to be left bereft. Right? There, there seems to be adequate financial capability to spend, which suggests the reason the rest isn't there is that people aren't comfortable putting themselves in a position to hang out at the bar and spend a lot of money. That makes sense. And and, and so the, the spending gaps are in things like leisure and hospitality, where we just don't have people going to the hotel. They're not getting, um, you know, sitting out in the restaurants as much. And so the, the capacity to spend is there. The willingness has to return. That's the key. Right. Um, it goes back to what we've said time and time again. It's all about the consumer reopening the economy, not necessarily the officials opening the economy. And, and you know, the, the data increasingly point to this very interesting pattern that the onset of the recession was caused by high-income Americans stopping spending on things that involved uh, physical contact. And so uh, that's a, a very different problem than a, a traditional recession when uh, a decline in income causes everyone to pull back and just don't have the money to spend. So sending a, a low-income household a stimulus check might be great for the low-income household, but it does nothing to, to address that problem, the loss of confidence in these high-income households and the willingness as a result of them to spend. Yeah, we had that great discussion last week about that report, and I, I'm sure we haven't seen any changes significant enough yet to, to, to go over that again, right? We, we did see um, uh, this morning we got uh, a quick early read on the labor market. The the ADP report was put out. So ADP is a, a payroll processing firm, and it puts out its monthly um, read on how, how many jobs are out there. And, and they saw an additional 2.4 million jobs um, in in the June report. And we'll, we'll get the official one tomorrow. But uh, that's good. Uh, ADP had reported uh, a loss of jobs originally in May. Uh, and that got revised to a gain of three million. So now it looks a lot like the Labor Department uh, for May, and says another two point uh, four. That's that. That's a good, not overwhelming number. I thought we might get closer to five. Who knows? We'll see. Um, and 
Uh, um, nearly a million were in leisure and hospitality. So the sort of reopening of restaurants at 50% or 25% or whatever around the country really did show up in putting some of those people back to work. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> the other thing you wrote about um, this week, uh, I think it was in your Tuesday uh, Daily Dish, uh, was the signs of life in the housing market. Um, walk us through what some of these numbers mean and what they mean for the economic recovery. This is something I was trying to figure out. What do these numbers mean? We've had these amazing numbers. Um, uh, you know, the first quarter national uh, GDP number was a decline of 5%. So you, what you usually think is, okay, in that environment, everything's sort of going bad. And indeed, you know, household spending was going bad. Business investment was going bad. Residential construction went up at an annual rate of 18%. Wow, wait a minute. So in the absence of a recession, what would have happened in the housing market? So I was like, ah, kind of interesting. And then uh, we got a recent report that saw this explosion in, in the sale, in, in what's known as pending home sales. You've signed the contract, haven't closed yet, things like that. So th that must mean that people are still willing to buy houses. Yeah. And we saw at the beginning of the year, voters are will willing to build houses. And if we've managed the income levels through this and interest rates have gone down, not up since that January report, that seems like to me like the housing market's on a better footing than you might think. Mm -hmm. It's easy to just assume, okay, have a recession, this is bad, all bad news. I don't know. Like they 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 sort of took a couple months off to see what was going on and now they, they seem the buyers seem to be back. And mm -hmm. um there's not a lot of supply out there. Uh that's a uh, a good combination for builders stepping in to start building things. So I'm I'm hopeful that'll be some modest support for the the economy. Yeah. I mean, anecdotally, one of my friends uh Actually, one of my college friends actually just bought a house. Him and his his fiance, you know, they moved in, and I, it kind of made me think: Is there some sort of confidence in just okay? Well, it's okay for us to move. I mean, there's nothing there, so that's got to be some benefit for the economy. Um, in the old days, right? Again, go back to the 20th century. Um, housing was a big part of the business cycle. So, you know, we were trained to sort of pay attention to the housing market because. If you got residential construction and you got new home sales, what came with that was sales of refrigerators, sales of ovens, sales of water heaters, and all those sort of durables that go into a house, air conditioners, rugs, furniture. So a big pickup in the housing market typically signaled a big pickup in the economy because it just fed through to everything else. It's been less important as the uh, as as the, the the country has sort of aged somewhat, and so there are fewer folks in that in that uh age range to be new home buyers but but it's still an important part of it and so um to see that pick up is is good news we went through 2018 and 19 with a housing market that was essentially dead in the water and still had pretty good growth um adding this to the equation would be beneficial mm -hmm. um you already mentioned that the uh, june jobs report uh numbers are coming out tomorrow thursday um yeah. what do you expect what would these numbers tell us uh you know the the, the way I think about it is we know that when we got the April horrific report, the 20 million jobs lost um, uh, disaster, 18 million of those of jobs were identified as temporary layoffs. So if you could imagine snapping your fingers and restoring health and economic conditions to what they were prior to the pandemic, 18 million people would come back so quickly. And so that means you could have, you have a big upside for potential large numbers. Right. You, you got, you know, a, a couple million back in, in May. So June, you could get that or more. 
a lot of them would be in things like leisure and hospitality restaurants and, and, and the like. Um, and so my feeling is that with some reopening, um, you're not going to get anything like, you know, another 15 back, but, but you could get something like 5 million back in a month. Um, especially if you think about the way this works, uh, the surveys taken in the, in the week that contains the 12th of the month. So it's relatively early in June, the surge came in late June. And so the sort of steps backwards, lockdowns, shutting of bars won't be reflected in this report. So I, I think there's a, a chance for an upside surprise in this report. Um, and, and it's about what comes back easily when conditions look like they used to. There's a lot that won't turn 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 out to be easy to get back because conditions aren't what they used to be and never really will be for some of those industries. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with all that in mind, you know, the surge in cases and all the reports reading about uh, the economy, um, should any of that change how policymakers uh, should think about the next phase of the response to COVID-19 with the phase four legislative package and, and, and all of that. I, I think the, there's, there are some things we've known, but have not been able to come to agreement on. So we know that the $600 federal bonus to unemployment insurance is too big and is too big a disincentive for too many people uh, to get the labor market to work effectively. So that has to be dealt with. That's not news. We've known that states and localities have lost a lot of their revenue uh, because of the slowdown uh, and that there will be some need to, to support them. Uh, that's not news. Big fight about how loans versus writing them a check, how much money. Um, so the, none of those have changed. Liability protections for businesses still on the table, still a big concern. I think the, the outstanding issue, the one that, that there's going to be some squabble about is what other things, what are the new things that might need to be in there? You know, on my list is, helping small businesses especially make the modifications to their workplaces and customer areas to allow them to operate over the remainder of 2020 at least with um with, with some safety and restore the confidence um others are more worried about maintaining that household income flow so you know another round of checks we've heard that from the white house others um i'm less a fan of that but those are the things i think they're going to be bandied about over the next month they got to come to a decision in a month yeah wow. Because uh, the, that's because of the July 31st deadline, yeah. uh, the unemployment supplement. The 31st is when that $600 bonus expires. Um, you know, the, the House and the Senate are going to go away for the 4th of July. The Senate's not coming back until the 20th. So there's 11 days in there where the deal has to be struck. And hopefully mm -hmm. they are uh, busily planning their positions now so that, that that deal can be struck quickly. One other question just came to mind. I remember reading yesterday that it was the last day to get PPP um, loans um, of some kind. How much will that play in effect the success of that program in the phase four response? So um, th there have been two surprises on the PPP front. Uh, number one, uh, they got about $500 billion out very quickly, and we've talked about that. And then it sort of stalled. It's been around, it's at $530 billion total. There's $100 billion left that that just, there has been no take up for a couple of weeks. And, and so... It raises the question, what's up there? Like, why aren't there new applicants? Uh, second surprise was that um, yesterday, the Senate, in a, in a, in a unanimous content voice vote, extended the for, for another month and kicked it over to the House. The House is here now, and my expectation is they would quickly, uh, on a sort of you know pre-unanimous basis, vote to, to extend it as well. And so the president will have to sign it, but the PPP will be around 
for through the month of July while they they sort of sort out this deal. And that might that may mean they're thinking about its successor and they want to legislate that. And that's that's a good idea. Fair enough. Um, let's turn to uh, a topic we started discussing last week, um, and that was uh, the the bank stress test. Um, what was the result of that test? So the stress tests are are done uh, uh, each year to see what the capacity of our largest banks, um, bank holding companies in particular, to um, weather severe economic conditions. These are a legacy of the financial crisis, Great Recession, where they did not uh, survive those, those rigorous conditions. And um, the basic result is uh, they went through what the Fed thought of as the, the sort of ordinary stress test with flying colors. That test was developed in February. Uh, the, the worst case scenario looked a lot worse in March than it did in February. So they added on top of it the reality of what we're going through. And uh, the, the banks came through collectively very well as, uh, in that test. So um, the banks are an important part of our response. If you think about the PPP, banks have to, to, to run that program. The banks are central to things like the Main Street Lending Program, the Missile Liquidity Facility, all these things that we're trying to do for the, the economy through policy. The fact that they're uh, in a good condition to execute is, is a really important finding. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I mean, yeah, obviously you just mentioned that banks have been central to the recovery. Um, they've issued the loans for many businesses. Um, what does the stress test tell us, uh, you know, about the government's response to the pandemic? Does it say it's been a good success? What does it not tell us anything? Uh, I think it doesn't tell us a lot about the the broader success in in engendering a, a recovery. Right? That that's the big question. What can we do to to engender a recovery? And if you think about it, there, there's there are a lot of angles to that that are very difficult. Um, one that um, uh, my colleague Isabel Soto wrote about uh, this past week is childcare. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we've lost childcare providers in this and. If you want to go back to work, you have to reconstitute the arrangements you had that allowed you to work. And so how are we going to do this? That's an open question right now. So you don't solve that with a stimulus check. You need a more subtle approach there. I, I think I think we are going to hear a huge drumbeat as as the days pass about schools in the fall. Like, are, are, are the kids going to go back to school? If the kids don't go back to school, how do the parents go to work? Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of things here that are, again, in an economist uh, jargon, supply side problems, getting people to work to supply goods and services that are just not easily solved by writing a taxpayer finance check and sending it to somebody. Yeah. I mean, again, anecdotally, a lot of the teachers I know, my roommate being one of them, you know, she talks about how she could never get through teaching this past spring without the parents around. So, I mean, again, to your point, what do we do if the fall is not there for how do parents go back to work? Yeah, I think this is going to be there, there are a whole series of tough supply side issues that I think have to start uh, becoming more prominent in the discussion. You know, we've 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 talked a lot about households and firms, but there are some other things we need to support those households to get them to be able to go to the firms. Right. Um, the other thing I th you noted um, in the recent piece on the whole bank stress test thing are the restrictions on stock buybacks and dividends. Is this simply just anxiety within the Fed? Um, how should we read into this? Yeah, I think it reveals how risk averse the Fed is. Like they, they have the capacity to use the stress test to dictate to firms what they're allowed to send out in the form of cash 
by either buying back stock or, or issuing dividends. Um, I am not wild about them having that power. I don't think that's appropriate to begin with. Um, in this case, they chose to to uh, exercise it by saying no buybacks in the third quarter and no dividends in excess of the amount that you sent out in, in, in the second quarter. So they capped them. And they forced firms to refile their capital plans, which is what do you plan to do in terms of issuing dividends going forward? So, you know, they're clearly monitoring the the amount of cash slash capital that banks are going to have to absorb losses going forward. Um, the, I understand the sentiment behind that because out there in the, the land of, you know, retail businesses and restaurants, there are a lot of people who are not going to pay their landlords. And their landlords are not going to be able to pay their mortgage. And those mortgages are going to start looking bad on the books of banks and others. And you don't want that problem to get out of hand and and, and threaten the, the financial sector. And, and that's the Fed's primary job as a steward of financial stability. So it's doing that job, mm-hmm. um, but but with, with great caution right now. Yeah, we started talking last week about the, the commercial real estate market and how that's being impacted. Do, do you think that 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 is the one area where we need to really zero in one of the bigger areas we need to zero in on and just keep an eye on very much needs to be monitored um it's it's the one that you can most easily imagine a lot of a lot of shortfalls in payments from what i think of as the real economy the, the folks who are making stuff and selling and providing services to the financial sector um you know if those payments don't come into the financial sector you, you have a problem there's no doubt about it and so that that's worth monitoring pretty tightly um you know thus far i haven't seen a lot of hard data elsewhere that shows households are falling apart like um you know there's been some forbearance on mortgages there have been some folks missing rental payments but it doesn't seem like a big macro issue yet fair enough so one final question for you today how are you going to spend your fourth of july weekend well um the third of july uh is simultaneously uh a day off and my mother's birthday Oh. And so um, we will celebrate her turning 88 uh, and in fantastic bored health in her home in Florida. Um, she tells me how bored she is every day. Um, uh, Beth and I uh, we'll, we'll drive to Fredericksburg and go to the Bowman uh, Bourbon Distillery and uh, toast her her good health. And so that that's that's a big part of our weekend plans. I just have a day trip. Um, this is the only way to, to stave off my death. Um, she is stir crazy and nuts. We got to go and, um, we'll we'll have a great time. Fair enough. Sounds like a great weekend. Yeah. And, and then Saturday we have a rooftop where we can probably see the fireworks. So we'll sit up on the roof and take a look. Yeah. My plan is just to grab a couple of, you know, maybe some wings or something or burgers and throw them on the grill and just enjoy it from my front porch at home. Yeah. I think that's a good plan. Uh, you know my my uh, uh, culinary skills. I am not um, throwing anything on a grill, but I, I will probably uh, take something someone else prepared needed. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Doug, thank you for joining us today, um, and I look forward to next week's discussion. Have a great fourth, you and everyone who listens. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.